Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to uh, another episode of Living Lives with Khalid. Today, our guest is Nizar Kalam. He's a founder of uh, EDAP, which originated in Bahrain and now is currently in eight countries, I believe. Uh, hi, Nizar. How are you doing? Hi, Khalid. Very well, thanks. Yourself? Thanks for having me on the show. Not bad. It's my pleasure. I'm, I'm happy you found the time to, to join us. But I just wanted to explain a little bit also about the, the Eat app. So Eat app is a reservation app. Uh, you can hop on and reserve in eight countries, so Dubai, mainly Middle East, uh, let's say. Um, now you're, you're in Dubai. I believe it's your headquarters or is it still Bahrain? Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we moved to Dubai uh, back in 2015. At the end okay. of 2015. And uh, yeah, we have a small office in Bahrain, another small office in Saudi, small office in Lebanon, but the, the main HQ is here, yeah. Today. Yeah, uh, I wanted to say congrats on raising $5 million. That's uh, <laughs> incredible news in a time where, you know, everything hit the fan with Corona. So it was really good timing, I think. Yeah, I don't think we could have been any luckier. Like, we literally closed six weeks, I think, before COVID. <laughs> It's, it's so, so, yeah, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs who were in the middle of it or at the tail end of fundraising and then COVID sort of interrupted and uh, slowed down everything. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely the stars aligned. And it really, really affects your uh, sector as well, your industry, restaurants in general. Uh, they took a hit. I mean, some of them, some of them, the, the deliveries, you know, saved them. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? How did you guys manage yeah, I think uh, there's been a, a few industries that are literally on the front line uh, of this whole pandemic. I think hospitality in general, um, travel, um, and, and restaurants are at the core of those two. Um, I think delivery, as you mentioned, that's nearly just a patch um, to help restaurants have just a little bit of oxygen. But um, you know, across the board, we're looking at you know between 75 to 90% uh, reduction in revenue from most of our restaurant partners. Uh, and so delivery does help. And if, if, if there's a restaurant that you love, um, you know, do pick up the phone or order online to help support them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, you know, definitely with the closure of restaurants um, and that rely almost entirely on dining business, they, they were hurt pretty bad. Yeah. Having said that, we're starting to see a, a, an exponential improvement now that uh, the borders are slowly opening up. Restaurants are about to operate again. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely signals of hope. It feels like the worst is behind us. Um, yeah. but, but we're still far, far away from the all-time high numbers. In, in yeah, China, yeah, of course. And also, I, I saw that you guys also have a table management system in the app as well for the restaurants as well. So uh, during this pandemic, were you updating it and working on it? And how did that affect? Because uh, I'm sure... Uh, it affected restaurants as no one is going in. So how was the relationship with restaurants in terms of that system? Sure. Maybe uh, before I, I jump into that, maybe I'll help explain uh, a little bit about how ETAP operates. Please uh, so e- yeah. ETAP has fundamentally two main operations. Uh, first is software, which is what you just spoke about. Uh, this is a software that we uh, sell into restaurants. Um, maybe some of you who may have Visited restaurants, uh, I've seen in the front desk, they may have an iPad or a laptop where they check in customers. Um, for the most part, that's, that's EDAP. Um, so it's a table management CRM software that helps the restaurants manage their customers and their floor. 
Um, but most importantly, uh, out of that software, the backbone of it is the understanding of tables. So in real time, we're able to identify you know, which table in the restaurant is occupied, which table is available. So then we can aggregate all of those available tables um, and across all the restaurant partners that work with us and sell those tables online. And that's our second operation, effectively the online booking uh, system. Yeah, uh, which I, I tried system. yesterday, by the way. I downloaded the app and I was messing around trying to see if, uh, how easy it is to book. And it's so, so easy. It was very convenient. And you can even add a note to the restaurant if you want a specific table, if you're, you know, so, so I liked it a lot. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thanks. Uh, yeah, the, the idea was to try to make it more seamless, uh, easier than calling the restaurant, right? Definitely um, was. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, so yeah, so to, to help the restaurants be, be able to fill in those available tables, to help restaurants optimize and increase revenue by you know, taking advantage of the internet. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, EDAP is one channel that we help the restaurants in, but we also power bookings uh, on behalf of many other channels. Uh, so Google is one of our largest partners. So if you search for a restaurant, you may see the reserve a table button on mm-hmm. Google, so you can book on Google. You can also book on TripAdvisor. You can also book on Zomato, um, as Amazing. well as the restaurant's website. So basically, the back-end booking engine is ETAB, and that all funnels into the same software I spoke about earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's effectively what we do. And then to, yeah. to your question about what we were doing during the pandemic, um, you know, there's really two ways to look at uh, this crisis. Uh, yeah. One is... You know, to, to 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 you know to look at your business and your revenue and um, and and take it negatively, or the other is to look at this as an opportunity. Yeah. Uh, you know, at least for us as a business, we've been scaling nonstop uh, for mm-hmm. the last several years, and never have we had the chance to say, okay, well, the music just stopped playing. Uh, what are some what are some of the inefficiencies in the business that we haven't looked at in the past? What are some areas in the business that we can exponentially improve by just training uh, or, or switching out systems to help us grow in the future? So, so we spent a lot of time uh, during this downturn uh, to really try to, you know, improve reflect, the business, yeah. reflect, like you said, um, and be prepared for what's next. I think rarely in a, in a business's life cycle do you have the opportunity to just take a step back and. Yeah. and work on things you normally don't have time to do. So we spent a lot of our time doing that. Um, but before we know it, restaurants are opening again and, and we're back in business. So. Yeah, yeah. It felt really long, but at the same time, super, super quick. But uh, on the note you said, uh, yeah, in our business as well, it was very, because uh, mainly we do airlines and restaurants as well. For, so we do a lot of uh, supplies for them. And so it, everything came to a halt. So it was a very good opportunity for us to sit, improve efficiencies in terms of logistics, in terms of softwares, in terms of, you know, uh, figure, figure out our branding as well, where we stand, where we're going to go moving forward. So I think it really is, like you said, a perspective. It's in the end of the day, you know, you could take it as it is, or you could take it. Uh, and I also, I'm a firm believer that everything's happening for you, never against you. And so what is the benefit that you can come out of this, you know, terrible situation that you're in? Um, and I hope that's people the, change the right their answer. mentality. Yeah, no, I feel like people also get uh, have changed a lot during this pandemic because they they had a lot of time to spend and reflect and think about. Even as a consumer, 
I feel like you've become more conscious of what you're consuming because you've spent two months not doing it. At least that happened to me, you know? So I realized, oh, I spent X amount in this sector, X in this. Maybe I should try to, you know, figure out my shit better because now I'm, I have a better understanding, you know? So, so I think it's, it's a, I wonder how long this shift or this change in the mindset will last because people tend to go back to their normal cycles, you know? So do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, in general, um, when there's such an aggressive shakeup, um, it, it, it changes the, uh, the, the direction uh, and the velocity of many things. Um, to bring an example, um, say that the shakeup in the U.S. right now, right? Yeah. And, I, and I relate the same thing to, to, to the COVID situation. Um, yeah. It seems extreme. It seems excessive. Uh, but maybe sometimes these are the necessary actions that are required to make real change, permanent change. Um, and, and in many cases, change for the better. Yeah. Um, and so similarly, as you said, you know, COVID for us as a business, um, I'll give you an example, right? Uh, as a business, we had, uh, you haven't visited our offices in any way, but we have two floors in the building. One of the floors is um, mostly marketing, sales, account management, mm-hmm. finance, support, et cetera. And then we have another floor full of engineers. Um, and so uh, due to COVID, we had, uh, you know, everybody started working from home. Um, and, you know, it was, it was an extreme uh, change overnight. Uh, you know, we went from operating uh, you know, together yeah, in this yeah. one space, literally to, to not seeing each other. Uh, and it has an effect on the team as well, because you're used to seeing everyone and bouncing ideas, especially if he's right, right next door to you. You just get up and go, hey, what do you think of this? You know, so exactly. definitely changes it. It, it did. Um, it did. Uh, it, on, on the upside for engineering, however, we realized that there are some roles in the company, you know, the, the, the sort of hacker roles, right? Headphones, coffee, beanie, and just code away, right? You, you, have, you have that set of roles. We also have writers at EDA, content creators. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we actually measured their output uh, pre-COVID and then during COVID. Um, and, and, and shockingly, we realized that engineering uh, specifically, and, and there's many ways to, you know, for some of the viewers who, who may be a little more technical, there's many ways to analyze the performance of engineering. Um, but, you know, off the top sort of surface macro level, we could look at the lines of code <laughs> that, that, yeah. the, that the typical engineer produces on, a, on a, whatever the frequency, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, et cetera. Shockingly, we had a 40% increase wow. it's not a small in the amount, amount of uh, lines of code uh, that was produced during COVID. So, um, so, so I think that is a positive, right? So, so even moving forward, we're no longer going to go back to the office, uh, to two offices. We now are going to have only one office. Most of our writers or engineers are going to be working predominantly from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, as that, that's a, just a better setup for them. They can be more productive. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we have our office. So if there's any brainstorming sessions, any meetings, uh, face-to-face discussions that are necessary, they can come to the office. Yeah, you um, have because it's, it's a good way to merge because you have the office that's one. And even if you didn't as a business and you notice the productivity, you can always rent out those spaces like we work and, and whatnot. They're prevalent everywhere now. So I think that's one thing I appreciate about your leadership style. I know we only had a couple of quick conversations over lunch, but uh, you adapt quickly and you're very modern in your thinking. And that's something I really liked when we talked. And that's why I feel like now that the situation is over, a lot of people will still force their employees to go back into the office. 
gets you adapted to what's better for your employees and at the same time as a company? I think you need to, I think it's case by case and you really need to think about um, what is it that you do as a company? What are the real requirements? Like write down the use cases, right? Uh, and for us, the use cases were, at least for engineering, um, were that they needed to produce the code, mm-hmm. uh, obviously to write the software, yeah. right? But at the same time, there was a use case of, uh, you know, wearing these multiple hats, challenging each other, sitting, on, sitting there, you know, writing notes down on, on the whiteboard. So we'll still accommodate for that and we'll have mm-hmm. the teams uh, come into the office when necessary. Um, so I don't know, right? It's very difficult to make a recommendation for everybody to work from home moving forward. It's case by case. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we realized that there was one use case that seemed, you know, so out of COVID, here's one positive, yeah. right? Cost yeah. saving on the office and then increasing productivity. It's a win-win. Exactly. Definitely. And uh, how, what's your uh, vision for ETAP? And, and uh, where do you see yourself, let's say, 5, 10, 15 years as a company and then as an individual as well? Uh, what are you trying to, to get from it? It's a great question. Um, so, but a very easy one, hopefully, to answer. Um, you know, right from day one, uh, we sort of had this audacious, ambitious goal to become the number one Mm-hmm. restaurant management software company in the world. Yeah. Right? And that, that means to be able to produce and build um, the tooling uh, to help our operators, the, the restaurant partners, succeed. Uh, right? Uh, increasing revenue, increasing customer retention, increasing, uh, improving operations. Um, and so that is sort of the audacious, ambitious goal. That's where we want to take the company. And, and I'm proud to say today, actually, after only five years of operating in the business, today ETAP is the top, like in the top three restaurant reservation management software providers in the world. Like if you were to actually mm-hmm. compare Apple to Apple with some of the other providers, we rank in the top three. Um, so, so, so we're on our way. Uh, but in order to get there, uh, there's sort of more immediate goal, which is the, the, the region, um, yeah. our sort of backyard territory. So in order to claim sort of global leadership, you have to claim uh, regional leadership or, or in yeah. your home territory. So, so the more immediate goal for us is to be able to support our restaurant partners across the region. There's about 24,000 restaurants uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the immediate region. So that's GCC plus uh, Jordan and Lebanon. There's about 24,000 And Egypt as well, you guys had as well, no? We do have some presence in Egypt, um, not, not, not as much as the sort of GCC, Lebanon, and, and Jordan, um, as, as that's, you know, we haven't ventured yet into North Africa, um, but uh, much, I mean, we have some clients in, in Egypt, uh, uh, for the most part here, here in the region. Um, and so, yeah, we see a tremendous upside. Uh, you know, the restaurants are underserved, like the amount of technology that they have available is very limited. The, um, their understanding of the internet and the user behaviors uh, is very limited. And so I think we, we have a responsibility to you know, assist and, and support those restaurant partners in moving online and giving them the tooling uh, to be more successful. So um, you know, that, that's sort of the, the goal in the, in the more short term uh, is to really become, claim the regional leadership. Um, and, and then eventually, you know, our, our dream is to become a global company to support yeah. customers everywhere. 
And how does that, uh, how are you different from your competitors? Let's say like Open Table or uh, Zomato has a platform as well, correct? Or, which is funny because you already said, you mentioned that you're on Zomato and you're there, which is a great right. milestone given that they're actually competition as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, exactly. So, so I'll talk about those two separately. Zomato, they're a partner. They're not a competitor. Okay. Actually, they used to be a competitor. They used, they okay. used to have a product um, that they focused on table reservations uh, on the software side and, and also on their app. Um, but then they realized that um, in order for them to be successful, they need to focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's maybe another discussion we can talk about, and I think a very important one, um, is that you need to, you need to have um, a, a genuine, unique edge uh, and a selling point uh, that's very different from everybody else. Um, mm-hmm. And so Zomato realized that they have their ads product and they, that they could do very well in delivery. And so they sort of invested in those two spaces. And then every other vertical, like table reservations, could be achieved using some sort of partnership. So we stepped yes. in, we spoke to their founder, uh, to their founder, excuse me. And yeah, we agreed that we would be able to power bookings for them uh, here in the region. Um, and so Zomato is a partner today. They're not, not a Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Open Table, um, yes, they they obviously uh, are a competitor. Uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, less less so active though here in the region. Uh, they mm-hmm. don't have any offices or they're not really present. Um, they have some customers that are managed from you know the EMEA office in London. Um, so so I'd say you know they're not really a competitor because you know we don't go head to head with them on on every customer. However, yeah. of course. Uh, Come the day that we begin to sort of, you know, venture into various other territories that maybe Open Table does exist, um, and and that's a whole other discussion. Um, yeah. But but I'd say that ETAP and Open Table, in terms of product offering and positioning, are very very similar, okay. very similar. So so you know one of the strategies we're looking at is you know how can we compete on the software end? Like how can we continue to evolve that offering to make it more superior um, mm-hmm. uh, to, compared to any other software provider yeah. and are there any non-confidential the right. uh, non-confidential advancements that you guys are looking at or features to add um you know i no i, I wouldn't say there's any sort of uh, anything confidential everything uh, will be public um we're, we're looking and looking a lot more into this whole direct to con- consumer uh, d2c model where we want to help the restaurants um, that are really complaining about the aggregators. Um, I don't know if you've seen this in the news recently, but um, they're, they're sort of um, creating a consortium to go against the likes of Deliveroo, Uber Eats, Palabat, mm-hmm. et cetera, because they feel like 30% commission is, is too hefty, especially during yeah. coronavirus. Yeah. Um, so one, one, of the, one of the big projects we're working on is direct-to-consumer, to give the restaurants the tooling so that they can themselves uh, take online um, orders, uh, accept sort of delivery on their own channels without having to rely on the aggregators and pay 30%. Um, so, so we're trying to help the restaurants be, again, it's in line with our vision, right? Help restaurants succeed online. Of course. Um, so, so one of the things we're doing outside the reservation space, it's the first time we've done this, um, to, to venture into the delivery space, uh, but, but go, through the cust- go through the restaurant. So it's more like a B to B to C approach, yeah. Uh, where we give the restaurants the tooling, then they help uh, their customers. The support, order yeah. Them. Yeah, that's that's uh, incredible, especially with the increase in deliveries, and and now you're about to also go into Saudi or invest heavily in Saudi. I 
from what I believe, right? Yes, absolutely. And how, uh, what's your outlook on that? Because it's definitely an increasing, uh, growing market in terms of food. Uh, COVID definitely halted it, I think, and it shocked a lot of restaurants mm. because I think there were so many upcoming ones and so many ones that just opened up, especially even here in Dubai. And all of a sudden, Corona hits, you closed, you didn't have a business model that was necessarily sustainable. So you're seeing so many shut down. Uh, do you think that's going to affect the growth in the long term? Do you think the restaurants are going to learn? How do you think this is going to affect the future of, of uh, the restaurant business, especially in Saudi as well? Yeah, I, th- I think macro level, COVID aside, I think Saudi had um, a very bright future when it came to hospitality with the borders opening, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of investments in entertainment with the support of the government. Uh, so, you know, over the course of the last one year, the amount of, you know, best in class hospitality brands that were opening branches in Saudi was, was impressive, right? Yeah. It almost mirrored like what happened in Dubai in the earlier days. It was yeah. almost identical. Um, so I think, I think Saudi has a very bright uh, future. Um, even post-COVID, I think, I think the, uh, there's going to be sort of a, a recovery, hopefully a strong one, um, and a bright future for, for Saudi. Um, and, and I will mention this, is like, you know, you always want to look at the reliance on your local population, right? And I, I think one of the things we, we saw in the UAE was that the economy, hospitality specifically, is heavily reliant on foreigners, right? Uh, yeah. with, the, with the influx of tourists and, and, and travelers and, and all the conferences and the exhibitions that happen in the UAE, like, it generates foot traffic, right? And so yeah. the, the, the economy was highly reliant on it. Uh, hence this sort of a economic uh, and damage. And actually there's a hub as well, you know, because it was the, you had Emirates and you had so many people that they have layovers one, two days and, and exactly. that fueled, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Whereas in Saudi, actually, um, like there is a, a pretty strong local population, like locals, like people who COVID or no COVID, they live there, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so, yeah. and so, what we found is like even with pre-opening of the borders, like a lot of those restaurant partners would do very, very well. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I think, I think, um, I think Saudi has a bright future. I think Saudi is a big theme for us at EDAP. Um, has been, uh, you know, it's part of like, you know, I, I'd say we're proud that. Um, you know, the best restaurant in the UAE is a partner of ETAP. The best restaurant group in, in Saudi Arabia is part of ETAP. Uh, the best restaurants in Lebanon, Bahrain, etc. We try, we try to do that in our portfolio, like to make sure that yeah. the number one restaurants work with us. Um, and the number one group in Saudi constitutes um, like their average revenue and, and covers the customers that visit the restaurant is magnitude on a magnitude higher uh, than, than the UAE, you know? So yeah. it just it just comes to show you the potential uh, of what can happen inside. So it's of really, course, really and, and the population is way bigger as well. You can't yeah. compare the two, you know? Especially when exactly. you go into Dubai, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, the most gen- money generated, I would assume, is Dubai more than Abu Dhabi and, and Sharjah or Adman and all yeah. these other yeah. Emirates. But Saudi, you have Jeddah, you have Riyadh, you have Sharjah, you know, you have so many different, and there's 30 million people. So it's a whole different uh, ball game, you know? Exactly, that's right. Yeah, no, no, it's it's great. So, how do you also protect the data of your clients? And do you do you also integrate? Let's say, if what works for a restaurant, do you share this information with other restaurants, or how do you use it to benefit maybe their direct competition if they're both on the platform? 
So how do you protect their data and how do you at the same time use their data in order to uh, develop the entire industry as a whole or, or advance it, let's yeah. say? Um, so just off the bat, uh, you know, data is the most, single most important asset uh, to the restaurant. Um, they could argue otherwise, but uh, the data, the customer data, the visit statistics, the POS data, etc. it's, it's yeah. inherently important uh, across the board. So, uh, you know, we make it uh, 100% transparent. The data belongs to the restaurant, does not uh, authorize us to do anything with the data, uh, share it, sell it, etc. We don't do any of that. And that would be a, a suicide note to eat app if we ever did yeah. that to a yeah. single restaurant, um, because then nobody would trust us and work with us. So, uh, we treat data very, very seriously, and we've built you know, best-in-class um, technologies and security protocols around data to make sure that uh, none of that ever becomes a risk. Uh, as to your second point, like how do we assist restaurants, and how does that sort of carry over to other restaurants? Um, we also make that very transparent from day one, is that you know, ETAP as a product um, is highly customizable to the restaurant's needs. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it's not an off-the-rack plug-and-play solution. Um, you know, we, we're consultants almost. So we come into the restaurant, we, we look at their challenges, we look at their pain points, we look at their goals and plans, and we sort of um, customize the solution to accommodate uh, to those, you know, goals yeah. and plans. Um, and then alongside that, we learn, right? I mean, I can't tell you the amount of hours we spent on the ground, in the trenches, with the restaurants, whether it's weekends, just sitting there at the reception desk, looking at customer inflows, studying how the dynamics of interactions between customers and the restaurants and the waiters and the, and the tables. And, and, and we take that feedback um, and, and we have sort of a framework where we, we plug in all that feedback on a, on a continuous basis. Um, all the different types of feedback, whether it's a customer tickets uh, or like complaints, bugs, uh, or, or qualitative feedback on, on the field. Um, and then we, and then that sort of feeds into our product roadmap. Um, mm-hmm. So that's how we build and, and design our, our products. It's entirely based on the data we get from restaurants and the feedback we get from them. Yeah. And, and so the upside is, you know, if you're a restaurant, you give us this feedback, we'll build it. And then it's going to be available to the thousands of other restaurants that work with us. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, you know, every restaurant benefits, right? If you help us design a feature, it's going to be available for everybody else. But if your other competitor helps us design a feature, that's also going to that's be also going to be available to you. Yeah. And I like that thing also. You had uh, if you have a reoccurring customer, let's say I book a restaurant 15, 20 times or something, I get some sort of uh, credit from the restaurant, which previously was unheard of because you don't, you know, there are restaurants where I would go to them 50, 80 times. I would probably not even be recognized. And now you have this recognition for the consumers. So you added value not only to the restaurant because you pinpointed the loyal ones, but to the end consumer as well, who's eating the, the food. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think the CRM uh, piece has been ignored uh, for too long. Yeah. Um, and, and so we, we, it's, it's important that as a company, uh, we understand the pain points and the challenges of the restaurants and we build software to accommodate to the restaurants. Yeah. But equally, we have a responsibility to make sure that the restaurants also operate like a startup. Like, how do we take decisions as a startup? How do we treat our customers as a startup? How do we design our CRM as a startup? Um, And it's this really interesting intersection between hospitality and technology. It's this, like, perfect marriage. Like, and if you can create um, sort of a a molding that works, 
I think that could be very, very powerful. So you in, just, in the near uh, future, you just reminded me of this uh, Japanese, I forget what the word was, but it's a saying where approach everything you do as a beginner, no matter how many times you've, de- you've done it. And even though if you're, you've done it for 10, 15 years, approach it as if you're learning everything from day one, as if it's your beginning. And that way, I think what you said also links to it, because not only will you be excited about it, but you'll learn new things and you won't skip and use shortcuts. So you'll actually even understand it more. And when you use it, apply it to the way you said it as well. If you're approaching everyone as if it's your first customer, as if it's your beginning, then you're going to provide so much value to the your end consumer because that's the end, you know, client is, is king. And, uh, and I, I, I like that a lot. Yeah. No, it's, it's cool. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. I think, I think there's a, there's tremendous upside. Um, and, and the internet uh, as a business is only proving to be uh, you know, a domain that, you know, many could argue saturated already. Oh, yeah, you have all sorts of different marketplaces, but I think we're just at the beginning. Like to take an industry, um, the total addressable market for restaurants is ginormous, right? And you take that as an industry alone and you look at the tooling that they use and how underserved they are and their understanding of the internet and how, how it works just comes to show you that there's so much more uh, to yeah. be done. Um, and the market's continuously exciting. evolving as well. And technology is being, you know, changing the, the entire fields. I mean, now you have robots in the kitchen as well. Yeah. So everything is, is changing in dynamics. You can't ever just be comfortable and be like, oh, now we know everything. And it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, it's, it's not yeah. a good mentality to have because there's just so much change. Then you'll end up like Xerox or Nokia or, you know, one of these of big guys. Yeah. No one wants to do that. <laughs> That's, yeah, uh, it's, so, I, it's, so, it, it's so important. I can't, you know, I can't stress the importance of like never get comfortable. Yeah, like don't get comfortable because next day there's going to be a new shiny product by some other shiny young entrepreneur. Um, so, like, you know, one of the things we almost religiously do at ETAP is um, focus on the customer. Like, yeah. like I personally, as CEO, make sure that in my calendar on a weekly basis I have FaceTime with our customers, listening to their issues, visiting them on the ground, visiting mm-hmm. restaurants, talking to the hostesses, checking on the software, like having the pulse, understanding the pulse of, um, of your industry and, and never letting that go, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think proved, uh, you know, time and time again, uh, in various different industries, different companies, but that's how you succeed. You have to be, um, you know, positioned to, to listen to your customers and deliver value continuously, no matter how large the organization of course. And, and also it sets an example for everyone working with you. If the CEO himself and others are going onto the ground and, and uh, checking on the customers and checking on small details and they feel like they're a part of something and bigger. And at the same time, they feel like you actually do care about their work rather than them being just a number on the sheet, you know? For sure, for sure. And uh, that's a good segue, I think, to your leadership style. Uh, how does, first of all, I loved, I remember when we first talked, you were telling me about the Sri Lanka trip that you guys had. And uh, just for the viewers, he basically, uh, one of his things is uh, Nazar takes everyone or a lot of people to different countries where they can reflect on the past year and look forward to the next year and, and set some goals and and I'd let you talk about it more because uh, obviously it's, it's your thing. I, I really thought it was an incredible motivational uh, thing that you did. Uh, thanks. Um, yeah. I, so just uh, for the viewers, um, we do our sort of annual kickoff, uh, we call it. Um, 
And uh, we thought, you know, how could we make this kickoff more meaningful? Um, how can we make the kickoff more impactful? Um, and how could we sort of tie in various values that we have at ETAP, uh, you know, into this sort of one major event that we have per year? So we decided, um, let's travel. Let's 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 sort of break uh, the, the you know day to day common activities yeah. and, and let's let's go somewhere spontaneous um, which is huge for the region i mean no one does that here <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah there's very very few companies like i mean some companies will go to fujera or Ras yeah. or whatever or like go to bahrain or, or like yeah. very close you know like not like out of the box let's go to sri lanka like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so i i will say this you know the first in, uh, impression uh people get is like whoa like how much money do you guys have like you guys are just blowing money right Actually, no, like just like when we started the company from day one, we negotiate everything. Like in order for us to get the Sri Lanka flight, we actually call the sales team of Sri Lankan Airlines and negotiate with them a rate that's like 30% cheaper than the rate you'll find on Kayak or Skyscanner or whatever. Mm -hmm. and so, and then we'll, we'll book it direct with the Airbnb and we'll, you know, it, it becomes actually, uh, you know, if you know, if you're conscious of cost, you can, you can get away with it. You yeah. can, you could have an amazing offsite for very little cost. Um, and the value is, is substantial. I mean, you're creating exactly. a loyal, loyal employees. You're creating a structure where a safe environment where people can get to know one another a lot more, which improves productivity. And I'm sure there are studies that back that up as well. And it's just, it's, it's a healthy place. You attract also, uh, the new talents that would love to join your company because of these things. So I think the cost, you're either like a, I feel like managers tend to be either very cost efficient or like just focusing on cost or focusing on sales. But the right. best way is to actually be a hybrid between both where you can, because there's tremendous value that's not necessarily numbers, but creates Precise. a foundation that will eventually get the numbers because it's yes. uh, you're planting yes. the seeds at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, uh, you know, I think you hit the nail on, on most of the core reasons why we do this trip. Um, I want to point out maybe two, uh, to me, are very important. Um, one is friendships. Um, you, you, you take it, you know, it's amazing how much changes in the dynamics of our relationships the minute that you travel with someone. Yeah. Like that you spend 24 hours with someone. Like you get on a plane, uh, you get on the bus, you go to this house, you spend all day, all night, uh, over the course of three, four days um, with, with your colleagues. And by the end of it, the relationships between our coworkers is elevated by, a, by an unbelievable factor. Yeah. Um, and, and, and really, like our goal at ETAP is to build a, a platform where we're almost like a fan, like we're all friends, like at work, we're all friends. Like even during COVID, um, you know, uh, like sometimes we'll do these weekly meetings and I'll see like coworkers, coworkers are at other coworkers' house. They'll, they'll just go there to work together. Yeah. Uh, without even us instructing them, like they're genuinely friends, right? So I think that's one very important thing. Like ideally, your workplace would be a place that you feel really good about, and you yeah. want to go. You wake up motivated to go. That's number one. Number two is accountability. Um, the fact that we have this trip. Um, I don't know if you, there's an opportunity to share photos here, but the fact that you go on this trip and you have to stand there uh, in front of all your in front of all of your colleagues. Um, and, 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 and discuss all of the results from the previous year and yes. present your plans for the following year. Um, 
and people remember these things. Like yeah. people remember like, hey, uh, you know, David or Ryan, I remember you guys, you know, mentioned this audacious goal at the end of the year. The next year, when they come back up, they say, well, these were the slides from last year. This is what we said we would do. This is what we actually did. Um, yeah. And it builds this culture of accountability and ownership uh, that I think is really important. Definitely. Uh, for every, for every then, team is... Yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but please share pictures. You can share screen. I think it's still recorded. So, so if you sure, have sure. some, go for it. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, okay may, I'll see if I can uh, do that maybe uh, following the call or, or I'll share some images of you. I think, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really cool. We have a, we do all the presentations in front of the beach and it's, it's really cool. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, um, again, the, the, the sort of cost benefit, like this is the benefit, this is the cost. Um, so, you know, highly encourage um, anybody who's thinking about it. And if, if there's no means to go to Sri Lanka, just do it anyway. Go to Fujera, go somewhere else, uh, but try to do that and you'll find. Uh, and not just a one night, like not just like a quick one night thing, at least stay two days, three days so that yeah, people can exactly. actually reap the benefit. Exactly. If you, if you, if you tell me you should do it for a day or three days, I would say either three days or don't do it. Don't even go for a right. day. Like why? Then it's just a cost because you're, everything's in a hurry and, and they're not really cultivating those relationships that you talked about earlier. But, uh, one thing I also loved about, uh, ETAP is how you guys have your YouTube videos explaining your table management systems. I watched a couple of them and I was like, okay, that's cool. I mean, I don't want a restaurant. But it's cool if, if I was and I wasn't working with you, at least I see that you care so much that you're already putting the tutorials, even though I don't have it. So I understand yeah. what I'm going to be seeing when I start talking to you, which yeah. I thought was really cool and innovative. And then to have a YouTube channel just about it, you know, it's, it's cool. Yeah, there's a lot of metrics uh, around uh, consumption of video um, and the sort of the, the outcomes of, of consumption of video versus the consumption of written content. Uh, so we find that by producing these tutorials and help videos, and every time a restaurant hits a wall, oh, I don't know how to customize my floor plan, or I don't know how to send an SMS confirmation, or mm-hmm. various other things, um, instead of sending them an article on, on how they could change that, we could just send them a video. Um, and, and, then, and then it's, it's a lot easier to consume it as content. Um, so yeah, yeah. So, so we see yeah. video as a very powerful medium for sure. Definitely. And they don't have to immediately contact you for everything. They can just go, all right, let me check out their YouTube. Maybe they covered it in one of their videos. So it's, it's exactly. super exactly. also uh, effective in terms of saving time and, you know, fixing the solution, fixing the problems. Yeah. With it. yeah. yeah we try to invest in support as much as we can. We mm-hmm. find that, um, you know, obviously if you acquire a restaurant or a restaurant partner, uh, it's really important for you to stay in business with that part. You can't grow otherwise, right? If you have your hand open, you pour some sand, the sand's falling, you're not growing, right? So, Definitely. So, so video is just one one of those support mediums or pillars. Uh, mm-hmm. We have various other ones. Um, so we've invested in a, in, a, in a tool called Intercom that allows the restaurants to get in touch with us 24-7 uh, directly to their sort of point of contact in the company. So it creates a very seamless and frictionless uh, medium between the restaurants and and ETAP. And, and we find that like if you can support your partners um, and, and be present and you care, uh, it, it really makes a difference. Uh, a lot of times our competitors will come to our restaurant partners and say, hey, we have this other product, etc. Um, but because of that support uh, platform, I think a lot of restaurants 
decided to stay with us and, and yeah. continue working with us. So, so support's very key. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You, you're there. You become their spine, which is, you know, crucial, crucial uh, part of the body. <laughs> exactly. It's... Um, I wanted to ask you about your, because uh, apps are becoming a lot more prevalent in the Middle East. There are so many that are popping up and uh, the previous fear of using apps and putting credit cards online and whatnot with the elder generation Arabs is starting to, to change very quickly. Um, I was wondering, because the biggest aspect of an app success is scalability. And you do have a limited population compared to other regions in the world. And the only billion dollar app that has come out of the region is Kareem so far. So what do you think of, of in terms of the future for the market in terms of growth to becoming billion dollar companies? Is it achievable in this region alone or do you have to rely on going global? And uh, how do you see future, in, should there be future investments from, for example, let's say the governments or should it be from the private in this sector to, to promote and accelerate the growth of these apps. What are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I, I want to say that uh, the, the billion number, uh, you know, in, in our space, that, that's the unicorn number. Like once you make mm -hmm. it to the billion mark, you become a unicorn. I really don't want to discount the companies that have managed to reach 100 million revenue and above. And there's a bunch of those companies. Of um, course. And, and that's a great, fantastic achievement, right, for any mm -hmm. entrepreneur. Um, so, so, you know, I, I tend to have conflicts with the concept of every entrepreneur must build a unicorn. Um, and, you know, is there a, an, an addressable market in the region to build a hundred million dollar uh, companies? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's happening left, light, left, light and center. Um, um, you know, and, and uh, I, I think the, the region is very quickly uh, changing in terms of the support infrastructure um, that's available to entrepreneurs. You know, when we first started back in, you know, 2014, 2015, there was very little in terms of VCs, uh, events, um, you know, the, the ecosystem was so, so small. Uh, and if you compare that time to now, uh, you know, I was just at step conference uh, just before COVID or, or right at the beginning of COVID actually. It was tremendous. The amount of you know, VCs that are available in the region, uh, the various startups, the various incubators, mm -hmm. etc. So, definitely, it's an, a, an exciting time uh, for any entrepreneur uh, venturing into sort of the app or, or internet space. Um, and and time and time again, the people are proving that they can build you know, scalable hundred million plus uh, companies. Um, so, so I, I definitely don't want to discourage anyone from. Uh, from venturing into, into this space. Although, I don't know if we, we, we plan to get into that, but I'd love to maybe talk about the very early stages of, uh, of starting a company because please, getting to the... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, please, that was one of the topics I wanted to discuss as well. So I was going to say, like, starting, you know, reaching the billion-dollar mark means you have to get a hundred million mark. hundred million means you got to be at you know, 50 or 10 or 5 or 1, mm -hmm. all the way down to, like, you got to get started, right? Like, that's... Um, you need to start, otherwise you'll get nowhere. So, you know, one of the very frequently asked questions or repeated topics that I find in the space from people who are just starting out typically is around, you know, how, how should we get, a, you know, it's not easy to raise, you know, 100K or 500K or a million dollars to get an idea off the ground. Um, 
And so maybe I'd like to share EDAP's story, like how did we start and how, how that worked, worked out for us um, in, in hopes that maybe some of the viewers will, will take that as an example to replicate and try, try this on their own. Um, so I was exactly in the same boat. I was like, yeah, but I need about $100,000 to be able to you know, build out uh, first table management software and then build out the app so that people can book online. Uh, and to begin to hire a sales team. Like, that's what's needed to start, right? Yeah. And our first investor, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll name him, his name's Hassan Haider. He used to be the, the CEO of um, Tenmu, which was uh, mm-hmm. one of the first business angels in the region. He's now a founding partner at 500 Startups. Uh, they're, they're number one in the region in terms of uh, number of tickets and invest, investments made in, in various startups. Uh, so he's, he's definitely become a, a, a legend in this space. So... He, he taught me a very important lesson in the, in the very early days. He said, look, we're not going to give you any money. I was like, how so? He's like, well, first, just prove that, uh, you know, that there's a need for the business. Uh, you know, show us the data, and, and then we can have a discussion. So I was like, all right. Um, so, you know, came across the concept of a minimum viable product, an MVP. And, um, and, and in our space, it's like, yeah, man, I have to sign all these restaurants, right? To be yeah. able to list them on the platform to get people to... And then it turns out that you don't even have to do that, right? So I, I contacted a friend of mine who, who builds like very basic HTML websites. I was like, man, could you help me design a, a website, okay, that has like 30 restaurants in, on there and uh, we'll populate the restaurants with some basic information like the name, the cuisine, the price, a description, etc. And then we'll put a book now button on there. And then uh, we'll, we'll add some time, date, and number of people pickers. And then people can hit confirm. And then just like, let's fake that it's a confirmed booking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's just try that. Let's just like build out a, a, a user journey and, and, uh, and see if that works. So, so we sat there together for about six hours in my, in my mom's house. I was, I was living in my mom's house at the time. Yeah. in my bedroom and we like for six hours we put together this website right yeah and i had a list of restaurants a profile page for the restaurants uh, and and a, and a confirmation booking screen if you were to make a book um and then i went on my facebook and i uh, i said hey guys i'm launching this new thing check it out we just launched today and i put a link to the site now remember we invested like 50 us dollars on, on ads from facebook to bring people to the site Okay. Um, and then other friends were supportive. They're like, hey, my other friend built the site. And it kind of went viral. Like yeah. tens of friends, like we posted it. Um, and before we knew it, many people started coming to the site. Like many, I, maybe hundreds of people came to the site, right? Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> on the first day of launch, uh, we were able to generate like one reservation per hour. Okay. Oh, that's amazing. And, uh, and I was like, shit, man, like people are booking. So then, uh, okay, so Sarah made a reservation. So then I would call the restaurant. Hey, sushi restaurant, can I make a reservation? Sure. Uh, for Sarah, this phone number, hang up the phone. <laughs> An hour later, some other person calls uh, or makes a booking for a steakhouse. So I call up the steakhouse, say, hey, my name is uh, uh, Sinan or, or whatever, and, and yeah. make the reservation. Over some time, like the restaurant's like, who are you? You're, it's the same phone number calling us over and over again, <laughs> reservation. I'm like, just take the booking. Uh, and then I think about three or four days later, um, we, we closed the platform because uh, we, we found some issues. Uh, restaurants mm-hmm. knew what we were up to. And, and so then we just shut down the platform. So then, um, again, it's cost zero money. 
Uh, it, co- it took us about six hours. Um, yeah, it cost us maybe 50 bucks, right, to do yeah. the, the ads to Facebook. But everybody has that, right? Yeah, yeah. And then we were able to take that data, right, to show that, okay, this many people came to the platform. People seem to trust the internet to make restaurant reservations. Um, and then we took that to the investor, and he was like, uh-huh. Okay, so that's interesting. So now you've proven that there's a need. Now we can fund you guys. And that's how we raised our first 100K. Um, so we raised 100K, and then, and then the kind of the story goes on from there. But, you know, anybody can do that first step, and everybody can prove um, that. Uh, and, and, and the minute that you see complications, like, oh, but I need to do this, get rid of it. Like, really think about the slimmest, bare-bone, v1 of your product and fake it right like yeah like many yeah just do it just get get out there launch this thing and if it doesn't pick up because imagine if you reverse that situation imagine we raised the 100k first we spent six months building this restaurant website to book tables we spent six months signing 30 restaurants and then we launched and what happens if nobody nobody books and you just yeah. wasted six months wasted of all your time. Yeah, yeah. And so also, just like, by reversing the yeah. process, you, you could, uh, you know. You could figure it out. That's awesome. No, 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 that's great. Because you walk the walk immediately rather than just, oh, I know there's a need, you know, and there's a gap. And there are a lot of ideas where there are gaps. And, and I think it's a, on a case-to-case basis. Some of them require just a leap immediately. But I think there is always a way to prove that need if it's actually there because the gap exists and therefore you can easily verify its existence. Right. And uh, I think it's, it's cool to, that you, you immediately did it from your mom's uh, house in your own room. Like it's, a, it's a cool origin, story origin. Um, and this leads me to, to the next segment. I would like to talk about you as an individual, what, uh, how you grew up, uh, so a little bit about you. I mean, we both grew up in Bahrain, which is really cool. Um, and uh, what was your school life like? And how did your friends first react to you starting this? And then and, and where are you now? How have you evolved? And uh, some some things about you, you know, so they can know who is Nizar. Sure. Um, yeah, so I think um, it's a very good question. And I think maybe the best way to address this is like, you know, I think looking back, um, everything makes sense. It's like all the pieces feed into the next chapter. Um, and then, and then, and then I'm, I'm here today due to all of those various experiences. Um, to, to rewind to the very beginning, yes, uh, born and raised in Bahrain. I spent about uh, 18 years of my life there. Went to middle school, high school. Uh, were you studious school? in school or did you, were you like, didn't give a shit, did you? <laughs> Not really. Not really. I mean, I, I did, I did the, the, the bare bone to, to make sure that my parents weren't pissed, uh, but I definitely uh, didn't impress my parents in, in yeah. terms of grades. Um, uh, so, you know, and I, I spent, I think, a lot, large portion of my high school years, like, socializing. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, and, and I have an older brother who's about two and a half years older than I, and I think that was really, really helpful because immediately it put me in a cohort of people who are older than I, um, mm-hmm. and it gave me that experience of, of uh, you know, being around, um, you know, people slightly older, more mature. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that accelerated my uh, development and uh, uh, 
mentality towards uh, you know being in a different social setting and it's never um, too late by the way because when i moved to dubai i for the first time some of my best friends are in their 50s now you know and, right. and 40s and our age as well so it's just yeah. having that presence of people that are older around you really accelerates your growth and they've already done so much in their industries at that age that there's so much to learn and at the same time they're learning from you because you're the new blood as well you know and it's 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 cool it's I, if anyone's listening i think you should befriend anyone of all ages you know it's just surround yourself by people you want to become and and at the same time that inspire you and want what's good for you in the end of the day because they've got nothing to lose you know by by having you around so it's i think that is crucial having an older brother you got you know accustomed to it a lot earlier than i did but uh, for me it was one of the biggest game changers of my life to be honest yeah i i um i generally you mentioned one thing like surround yourself with people that you want to be or you want to aspire to or be like um i almost think of it like a math equation um if you hang out with uh five people uh then you become the average of those five people mm-hmm. like you consume about 20% from person a person b person c person d person e and that is who you become so if you surround yourself with forward thinking you know inspiring individuals who are best in class in what they do and, and uh, ultimately you feed off of them you learn from them right and yeah. they feed off of you um versus the inverse of that if you surround with yourself with people who put you down who have, mm. have no sort of inspirations aren't ambitious etc that'll pull you down right so yeah. it's critical that you figure out who your average who who like if you're going to be the average of some individuals who those individuals should be yeah. um and that and that becomes a, a, a interesting exercise um yeah so after bahrain uh, i think the, the biggest sort of uh, life changing you know experience was moving to california um so i moved to california when i was uh, 18 uh, mm-hmm. so right after high school moved to san francisco this was in 06 um to 2010 so i spent about four years in san francisco and i think that that's really when everything changed because um for two reasons first it's an incredible city um perhaps so the most beautiful and advanced and the people it's it's a great place great place you've been yeah, yeah, yeah so many times uh okay. i dated someone from marin county so okay. i was in san francisco in and out quite a bunch okay. and then I went to school in Colorado so most of my friends as well were from California and Colorado most people go there. Um nice. and so I was always in Cali whether it's LA or San Fran. It's nice. it's a great city. It has its yeah, charm. Yeah. It's like no no one in the nowhere in the world is is like San Fran. I don't think it's just like the the vibe, the the culture, the houses, the colors of the houses even like <laughs> it's just a strange place. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. So 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 that that was a very interesting angle I mean the, the city itself and the dynamics and the people um and and at the same time I was um you know in university and like every other friend of mine like a year or two years in was like hey I'm dropping out I'm like where are you going he's like oh, I'm joining some startup in in Silicon Valley oh, that's doing this one thing or hey I'm I'm doing this other startup do you mind like signing up and giving me some feedback etc and um some of them uh like during university were raising money uh and like building out these companies i'm like what the how how is this even possible right and so just like open my perspective to hey anybody can do anything right yeah. yeah um 
And so, and so that, 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 that was a life-changing sort of experience because after that, I was like, I'm not doing anything but starting a company and I'm doing nothing but the internet. Uh, and so that's sort of what seeded this, uh, this idea. Uh, and then to sort of further strengthen my probability of success, I said, okay, well, why don't I take a, a, a program designed to help teach me how to start companies? Uh, so, uh, so that was my master's degree. So after I graduated, I did about a year. What uni uh, did you go to in Cali? Uh, I went to San Francisco State University. Okay. okay. And then uh, I went to Babson College for my master's degree. That was on the, on the, on the East Coast um, in Boston. Okay. Um, and that was a really interesting experience. Uh, so Babson's like a heavy in entrepreneurship uh, institute. They, they, uh, they, they focus on entre- entrepreneurial education. Um, and so, you know, spent about a year, lived in France and China and the U.S. So did about you know, four to five months in France, four-ish months in China, and then another four so Just a part months. of the program? Or? Yeah. Yeah. yeah part okay. of the Whereabouts in um, China? Shanghai? In, uh, yeah, very next, very close to uh, Shanghai. It's a little town called Hangzhou. Um, oh, I've been to Hangzhou. <laughs> oh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I spend a lot of time in China. I go oh, cool. uh, mostly southern, uh, all the south. I've been to like Guangzhou, Shanghai, Ningbo, you know, awesome. Shenzhen, all of these. So it's, it's a cool yes. place. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, very interesting. <laughs> it's a different dimension. It's a different yeah, yeah, dimension. Yeah. <laughs> we can have a whole other hour talking about China. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to sort of fast forward till today, um, after, after the, the program, I moved to France, um, and, uh, you know, there was like an entrepreneurship visa program. Like if you wanted to start a company in France, you could apply. I applied, I got accepted, mm-hmm. uh, moved to France with nothing, no money, no, uh, very, very little. Um, and then we sort of started a company with a, a friend of mine, uh, who's still one of my best friends, uh, for about two years. That's really where we learned everything we, we took from our master's degree to exercise in the real world, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, f- every single failure uh, you can imagine, we had uh, in, in those two years. Um, and then I, I sort of have, had this epiphany. I'm like, I think I'm equipped with the knowledge to start companies. Uh, I think I don't know. I'm still pretty young. I was 23, 24 at the time. Um, and uh, I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe it's time to move back to the region. It seems like a bunch of companies are, are, are raising a lot of money. There seems like a lot of te- technology gaps that we can fill. Um, and that's sort of in 2014, I uh, moved back to the region. Uh, and and the sort of the story of ETAP happened then. Yeah. And now five years later, it's you know, raised 7 million, uh, thousands of restaurants and everything. So, but, but, you know, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's sort of looking back, um, you know, everything sort of feeds on to the next. Like, I, if there was no Bahrain, I don't think I would have, you know, uh, been to San Francisco or there wasn't San Francisco, I wouldn't have even thought about starting a company, etc. So, yeah, a little bit about there's this. There's this one quote, oh, I want to remember it. Um, I'm going to rephrase this because I don't remember the exact quote, but basically it goes, uh, failure is not durable. And so, so, so a failure does not necessarily mean that it's going to be a failure for the rest of its life. Mm-hmm. And uh, the example was, uh, it was one of the directors, uh, one of the famous directors, I forget his name now, Rodrigo. Um, he directed Machete, he directed Spy Kids, he directed a bunch of movies. So basically, uh, I think it was Clint Eastwood, he came up to him and he's like, yo, let's make this movie. There'll be four, four different directors and four different rooms. And we're going to do all these things and whatnot. 
it was a big failure. Everything, everything was terrible. The movie flopped. The directors didn't know what the other directors was doing. It didn't look great. And from that movie, he developed Spy Kids because of the people that they hired because they were in tux because it was supposed to be New Year's. So then he's like, oh, they look really cool together. What if they were spies? And that's how Spy Kids came to be. And then at the same time, Sin City was also born of that because he, wow. he thought about so many different things. So, so literally this failure of a movie was never durable because it didn't, it wasn't a failure through his life because it was a very defining moment that led to two successes. So regardless where you are, and I think that's also one, one thing I said this in a different podcast as well. Um, right. So don't, be wary of not, you know, of hating something that's to your benefit, it's especially like failures. You never understand the, the circumstances from that quote unquote failure is, is yet to come. You don't know what's going to happen in a week in a month in a year in two and five. So it's, it's, I think it's, it's a, such a valuable thing to, to be able to accept and trust that this is happening for you. And within five years time, you're going to actually reap the benefits of this. Failure. I would like to say more like lessons, like you said. Um, but yeah, I think they're, they're, they're very important. Uh, you know, people don't go through that experience. The, tra- the trajectory is too, too slow. It becomes linear, right? With failures, mm-hmm. it's exponential, right? You can, mm-hmm. and, and it's back to like the first thing we talked about, these, these major shakeups yeah. uh, in your life, uh, in your surroundings. I mean, these are, these are the things that create change. And change is good, right? Change is always good, I think. I, I'm a huge believer in change, which is why I've lived in so many places and I like to move on. And also, it just, it's new beginnings. That's what change means, you know? You're, you're starting, but you're not starting as a completely fresh slate, fresh slate because you have all this previous experience that you've had. So you're just this, it's just, it's incredible. I love change. <laughs> but um, what do you have to, because the Bahrain, now I think there's a development of a culture that's starting to become more active, starting to, to start different apps and different, uh, I have another podcast as well lined up with, uh, with one of my uh, high school classmates. He started, uh, Dictory. I don't know if you've heard of it, the app, it's, it's basically oh, online yeah. consultations. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's very nice to see people finally starting to, to start grabbing the ball and running best there. Are, there are still like laziness is a very prevalent, uh, unfortunately beast in our region with a lot of people, especially growing up. And, uh, I feel like in comparison to other regions, of course, not everywhere in the world, but high school, uh, the environment there promotes growth and promotes you to pick up different sports and promotes different languages and different yet he, and here in our region, at least in my experience, we didn't have that. And, and so I was wondering what advice you'd have to the next generation, the upcoming ones. And uh, what your thoughts are on, on how we can shift from this laziness to, to proactivity and rather than reactive, again, become proactive. And it's already happening. How can we accelerate and build on that? Uh, it's a very good question. Um, and, and I think that uh, it requires a two-sided approach. Mm-hmm. First, it's um, parenting. And it's the person being proactive to want to, to want to do, uh, to want to embark on new projects and, and do, do things a little differently. Um, so with, within parenting, you know, you have various um, family offices or, um, 
And I'm not saying this is wrong, by the way. In many cases, this is the right thing to do. You, you trust your children and you put them in a position where they're taking leadership uh, positions and managerial roles, and it really exponentially helps them. Tada, tada, by the way, I don't know if you know, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's, it's great. I, I think, you know, um, so, so, so I think there's, there's no harm in that. And I think mm-hmm. that, uh, but it comes down to parenting, right? So if, you're, if you want your kid to embark on a different path, maybe create a blocker to say, you know, uh, I'd like you to join the family business, but maybe not yet. Maybe you need to venture and do your own thing yeah. for maybe five or six years, get the experience, then come back. Um, so it sort of forces uh, and nurtures the person to, to like embark in real world experiences and, and, then, and then to join. Um, and then of course it's on you. Like, you know, not everybody's designed to be an entrepreneur. You know? Of course not. Like if everybody was an entrepreneur, then you, you need to have some people who are lazy, who consume things. You need to have mm. people who are busy or creating things, and and that's where the marriage happens, right? Of course, of course. Um, but yeah, I think you know. Um, I guess the 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 message to anybody who's like on the fence or considering doing something, mm-hmm. like um, the journey to a thousand miles starts with a single step, right? So yeah. you just gotta just get started, like and mm-hmm. and 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 know that that first step isn't hard, right? Back yeah. to the story of Edap. It's like $50 and six hours worth of friends' work and, and, and off you go, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, so I think, you know, the, the, the message is like, it's not hard. It's okay to fail. Failure is, a, again, a stepping stone to go to the next yeah. chapter. Um, you should go for it. You should try yeah. it. And you'll never and regret not trying, right? Yeah. You're always going to regret. Um, sorry, not you're never going to regret trying. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to regret not, not doing it. And you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. But also, I want to mention to the parents, be open-minded. Don't force them into a position or into an industry because you want to, You want your right, kid right. to be there. You're, that's very selfish of you. I know you want what's best for them, but that's not at all what's... I've seen so many talents, unfortunately, uh, wasted or weakened because their parents forced them in industries where they're not interested in them and they already have talents like one of my friends could like like i don't want to name names or anything but you know from coders to to musicians to that were just you know forced to conform because their parents are like no this is what you have to do and it's sometimes it's it's scary to defy them it's it's difficult as well you know they're your parents um so be more open-minded i think that's that's something is is very crucial and i agree with what you said in terms of putting a block for me it was kind of the opposite because i wanted to work in the States and I got jobs and uh, my dad's like, no, no, we need you here. You should come. Da, 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 da. And I told him, all right, uh, let's have, let's meet halfway. Instead of going to Saudi, let's start the business in Dubai and I'll come and I'll be the first employee in Dubai. And therefore I still get a startup feel because I'm working on all of these things, but I have at least the foundation of everyone in Saudi that has learned yeah. and that's done all that. So I did my two or three months training in Saudi. And then I was thrown in, in Dubai all of a sudden, you know, with, with uh, the guidance of our CEO. But I was there four days a week, three to four days a week alone, you know, in Dubai trying to figure it out, which was really honestly like it, it was difficult, a little bit nerve wracking because, you know, you're like, oh shit, there's like an office, there's investments, there's, right. you know, I, I need to do something out of this. And I think that's where it started. And uh, so I think it also, like you said, it's all about parenting and how you have them embark on that journey and be, be open to their inputs. Because if you can't just 
throw them into the business without having their inputs because what if they they're not happy at the end of the day i think that's what matters because if you're happy then you'll be also more productive and more productive means your business will thrive if you my dad always told me he's like you're my son but don't think i'm gonna hand you the company because you're my son you have to want to do it otherwise why would i give you this company like i spent so much time on it you know why what you know so you have to show yourself show that you deserve it and you want it and at the same time be uncomfortable yeah. And I, I think I think what you're doing uh, with the podcast and various other you know uh, organizations that are glorifying entrepreneurs, that are pushing entrepreneurs onto the main stage, they're educating parents and future entrepreneurs as well. Um, I, I think I think that also creates uh, a change in mindset, right? You said, oh, you got to you, you can't code or uh, produce music. You have to be a banker, or you have to you know, uh, yeah. and so. By, by glorifying these roles and, and really showing that they're, you know, it's a meaningful lifestyle and it creates a lot of value. Um, I, th- I think, yeah, I think parents, you know, will, will have that change in mindset. And that's been happening. Like I could tell you, like when I went to university, yeah, when I applied as an account, like I was, I had an accounting degree, like originally. Yeah. Um, but then over the course of time, my mom started to see, you know, various other entrepreneurs and, you know, and, and, and it was a, it was a progressive it wasn't like an overnight change. It took a very long time, but now she's like, okay, well, I respect what you're doing. And, and that's sort of ingrained in the family. My brother started a company, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, um, and by the so way, yeah, like so- you said also earlier, you don't have to be an entrepreneur. You can also do what you want, you know, if it's, exactly. if it's and let right. them thrive because if work doesn't feel like work, that's where they'll thrive. Even if they're not entrepreneurs, if they're engineers, if they're into coding, if they're into uh, whatever it is, you know, um, I think it's it's very important for us to create that culture in the region of letting the, the, the child decide where they want to focus and what they want to grow rather than forcing it upon them, you for know? Sure. And uh, I think that's that's very crucial. So what's... what's uh, you, what are some of your goals in life with in relation to ETAP and then after after ETAP? Is there is there gonna be an after? I'm assuming it won't be your last venture given that you already started a company in France and did all these things. I think that eventually there will be ETAP and XYZ. So do you know do you have any interests or are you thinking that far yet? Or are you just solely focusing on ETAP? What's what are your, your takes on that? Um, I think that um, the longer time you spend within any subject matter, you start to uncover a map. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, the map is very blurry. It's like uh, you, know, you kind of know how things operate on one side, but on the other side, it's very blurry. But over time, the map becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, you know, and I relate back and I graduated in 2010. So it's been 10 years almost that I've been in this sort of entrepreneurial ecosystem and trying to do, build different companies. Yeah, sure. Industries are, are different and uh, the different projects. Um, but, you know, I think, I think 10 years down the line, I've uncovered this map that's allowed me to navigate and move much faster um, uh, in this sort of subject matter, which is startups, internet, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I imagine myself in the future to continue to broaden this map, to continue to make the map a lot clearer, 
um, and to be able to support various projects, entrepreneurs, um, and different stakeholders within this organization um, or this ecosystem, uh, you know, as as I grow older. So I, so I'd imagine that you know I I, I my, my sort of my goal is to be able to grow it up um, and to maybe you know post hundred million dollars in valuation. That's like a personal goal of mine, um, and then. You know, the, the outcomes of that could be to get involved, you know, as, as I mentioned, different stakeholders, right? So either yeah. you're on the ground and you're in a leadership position managing a company, uh, or you could be a mentor to a company, or you could be an investor to a company, or you could yeah. be an owner to various other companies. So of course. The, the sort of ladder uh, becomes a lot more interesting over time, right? I'm yet yeah. to uncover that part of the map, yeah. but I think that's my ultimate goal is to be sort of a subject domain expert to be the best and in, 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 in that I can and that, that the, the advantage of time and experience could help me succeed in the future. So that's on a sort of a professional um, mm-hmm. uh, sort of scope. On a more personal scope, um, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about music. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, but I also, uh, together with a couple of friends, started uh, Soundscapes, which okay. is a uh, a festival uh, in, in in the region. Uh, actually, it was born out of Bahrain. I I, I, I know, I know it, of course, but I didn't okay. know you did it. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, so it's a highly inspired uh, from from Burning Man. Uh, you know, sort of the gathering uh, that I attend once a year in, uh, in the U.S. Have been for six years now. Um, oh, you've so gone six of, times. Yeah, six times. That's yeah. a cr- dude. I I wanted to go this year, then. <laughs> Corona happened, it got cancelled, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but this was my year, but uh, I've only been to Coachella so far as a festival, but well, Let's pair, I'm happy to, happy to help in the planning, it requires a lot yeah. of planning. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one of the sort of personal uh, sort of drivers is to continue to promote creativity, art, uh, predominantly around sort of the music scene uh, in the region. Um, and Soundscapes is sort of the launch pad for that, right? So I think yeah. it's been pretty incredible what we've been able to achieve in the, in the four, four years or so uh, for Soundscapes, um, both in terms of upbringing of local artists. Um, you know, one, of, one of the very early sort of founding partners and, and artists that played at Soundscapes is now like a global DJ. Uh, his name is uh, Zone Plus, or Ziad, you may know him. Uh, but that all started at Soundscapes. Like he Amazing. got inspired from the artists that came, and now he got signed to some of the biggest labels through those relationships and experiences at Soundscapes. So can we continue to expand that uh, in the region to promote art and music? Yeah, um, incredible. Yeah, and uh, and so so that's sort of a on a, on a more sort of personal note as mm-hmm. as a goal. Um, so yeah, so so I think that this magic and the unknown. Yeah. I sort of know the sort of space that I want to be in. I'm very passionate about internet startups, uh, ventures. Uh, I'm passionate about music and festivals yeah. and arts. Like, I just want to continue to do that and see sort of where life takes me. Definitely. For me, actually, uh, starting a festival eventually is one of one of the, <laughs> the things I want to do. Uh, festivals and also education. I want to eventually have... Uh, create my own schooling system. Cause I think that the modern education system right now is one size fits all. And, right. and I don't think it really teaches you how to reap and make the most out of your time in life. And I think that kids also can be equipped with more complex things at a younger age, rather than wait till high school to learn, 
you know, derivatives and whatnot. And, and I just think that there are valuable lessons that you could be taken that are more important than learning cursive, cursive for example. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, so, so, so those are two things, me personally. And uh, music, that's cool. I didn't know, I didn't know you, you did that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, well, that being said, uh, thank you for joining us today. It was, it was honestly a very, very uh, honor uh, to have you on the show. And it's been my pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I hope hopefully we can we can do this again and we can, you know, uh, have a different uh, episode with you as well, discussing different things. <laughs> with pleasure. Uh, an honor to be here. Happy to spend the time. And uh, yeah, you know, my hopes is uh, we, could, we could inspire if there is like one entrepreneur or yeah. one DJ or, or one person that could venture into something due to this episode i think uh, we're winning uh yeah. so with pleasure happy to be here again and thanks for taking the time and Amazing. i really appreciate you you know uh publicizing and, and glorifying uh entrepreneurs and, and artists because like i said like earlier you know, that's what's going to be necessary to help push either the parents yeah. or, or the or the people themselves uh, i hope so that's so. i started it you know with the goal to change mindsets and inspire and if i don't I'm catching up with cool people. <laughs> so I'm having a good time regardless, you know, but yeah, my hope, exactly. my hope is that at least one person will benefit from these. And, and then it's, if it grows incredible, I'll be super happy. If not, then I'll continue doing it because it's nice. It's fun. And at the same time, um, you know, there's, there's no reason if I have the time to not do it. So, awesome. Awesome. uh, anyways, thank you again. All right.